Welcome to this very special episode of the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. Today, we hold our very first panel discussion with the Thoughts Leader Group of TIS, the Treasury Intelligence Solutions Company. This group is composed of Hugh Wimmer, John Packett, and Nicolas Christian. Hugh was the former head of Treasury at SAP before he founded TIS went through the position of CEO and is now the Chief Strategy Officer. John is a Vice President at TIS and thrives on the US market. And Nicolas founded Cashforce, the cash flow forecasting tool that you may have heard of. And Cashforce was purchased by TIS in June 2022. Since then, Nicolas is the Chief Communication Officer. As you may have understood, the consolidated experience of our guests have made this episode just amazing. Today, expect to learn the role of corporate treasury departments as their strategic influence in the company's growth, the importance of cash and cash-related data management with the constantly evolving technology landscape, what the thought leadership of TIS thinks of the war for talent, how cash flow forecasting has become the lifeblood of a company and the impact treasurers can have if managed in the most efficient way how fraud prevention and payment security should be considered as top concern for all companies, and much more. It was truly amazing to interview Jurg, John, and Nicolas, and we are extremely grateful for the opportunity. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as Hussam and I did animating this panel discussion. If that is the case, well, the best way of showing it to us is to rate us, with a good grade, of course, on your favorite podcast app. It only takes 10 seconds, and truly helps the podcast, allowing us to invite more and more amazing guests. With all that being said, please welcome Jörg, John, and Nicholas. All right. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, Jörg, we, we see a trend lately uh, as the treasury strategic influence grows. Is it correct and are treasurer correct in their perception that treasury is becoming more and more strategic and uh, whether it is a yes or no question, why so? And maybe you looking at you first, Jörg, what's your view on that? Yeah, thank you for asking this question. Indeed, treasury is becoming more strategic. This is uh, obvious and the treasurer itself, he wants to position the team as a thought leader and a business partner, strategic advisor to the C-level. This is because when the going gets tough, the treasury team is always in the spotlight. So I worked as a treasurer before I started TRS 12 years ago. Um, and in my former role as head of treasury uh, during the financial crisis, the CFO uh, knocked on my uh, office door almost on a daily basis. Why? Well, cash position is mission critical. Cash forecast is a big topic. And in a, in a nutshell, data is the new gold from a treasury perspective. And uh, data makes a treasurer a strategic business partner. The treasurer is sitting on a gold mine. This is the cash flow data. Cash flow. That tells you the truth, right? Cash flow is real time. Cash flow is uh, kind of lifeblood of a company. Accounting is an opinion maybe from yesterday, best case. So it makes a lot of sense to collect 
data, to structure the data, to analyze this data, and then to transfer this data into actionable data, not only to reduce currency risk or to increase the yields optimization, this data can be used uh, also to earn money, yeah. <laughs> to convert the treasury team into a business partner or uh, convert uh, the cost center treasury into a profit center. How could that work? Well, think about natural um, cards, which uh, could use uh, and where you simply leverage the data. So try, my recommendation is uh, to all these treasures, let's try to become more strategic. Yes, try to acquire this data, to orchestrate this data and convert this data into uh, actionable data and best case earn money out of this. Okay, so treasurers are a little bit the, the custodians of cash and data related to cash. And that yes. makes them a person of contact for the CFOs and the strategic decisions uh, driven. Super clear. Correct. Anything to add, colleagues? Um, John, maybe as a former treasurer. Yeah, I mean, he, I think you made a lot of really good points, York, but I'm definitely seeing a trend towards treasury becoming less siloed, you know, to your point. Yeah. It's no longer treasuries downloading these reports. So they can put together mm -hmm. their cash position and do their reconciliation and sort of operating within the silo. Those no ivory Yeah, those that have done a good job with technology investments are definitely realizing that they have an opportunity to be a strategic partner to the business, both in sharing that data and in analyzing that data and sharing the insights. You know, so I think Treasury's in a unique position where they might see things a little bit earlier than the rest of the business because they see when it impacts cash. <laughs> so that's immediate, right? So they might notice things like you know an increasing DSO a lot earlier than, you know, the, the, the AR department bite, and they can be a good business to, uh, partner from that perspective and sharing those insights and saying, Hey, something's wrong here. It's worth a, a closer look. And depending how good that analysis is, they can even probably provide really good strategic recommendations to the business on how to improve some of those operations. Yeah. And maybe if I, if I want to add, when you talk about these insights more today than, than ever before due to the macroeconomical situation, due to the COVID crisis we had, ultimately insights are critical to decision-making or fast decision-making. And today we're just confronted with um, top levels, yes, top levels of organization, management levels, C-levels that are really required to make quicker, faster uh, decisions, but also decisions that will ultimately change dramatically sometimes the course of the, uh, of the enterprises. And without good insights, without good data from um, the, the treasury, and that's where treasury becomes a lot more strategic, that's actually impossible. And this is, uh, yeah, this is just a, a new a new role that since a couple of years, treasury treasures um, have been playing very close to the management and CEO team of organizations. So you, you touched on a good point there. Go, going into the economic environment that we are right now in 2023, right? Um, how do you see that playing out into the, the, the economic turmoil most companies are going to go into over the next few months or years? Yeah, I can just quick quote, I guess the obvious is, is the, the word of uncertainty is a word that will be just baked in everybody's strategy. So when you think about, oh, let's define a strategy for 2023, 2024, 2025, Let's say there's so much uncertainty around so much of the macroeconomic environment, but also just the variables which are potentially 
uh, impacting your business, be it currencies, be it supply chains, be it customers and vendors in certain areas uh, in the world that are potentially in, I would say, the trade war, either in, in, an, in, an, actual, in an actual war. There's so many variables that are unknown that creates a lot of uncertainty and these uncertainty has have to be big. So the uncertainty factors have to be built into scenarios like scenario planning. And, you know, when you think about scenario planning, this is all what, let's say the part, let's say sea levels are doing today. We try to think in scenario one, we have these variables in scenario two, we have these, etc. And let's say then navigating and using the scenarios going into the actual 2023 year. And navigating between those scenarios, seeing which scenario is actually going to play out or less, is going to be uh, really key. Um, I would say that's on a, on a more gener uh, general level, when, when I would need to comment on what's actually going to happen. I don't know. It's really very uncertain. Super clear. And so linking back this uncertainty and the scenarios, you will need, obviously, data, right, to build them. I'm also looking back to what you said earlier about cash management and data management. Maybe in looking at you, John, here, cash management has been a core treasury function for a long time now. So why are cash management skill sets still at the top of the priorities list for treasury and treasury departments? Yeah, I think there's probably three key reasons, and we kind of already touched on one here in terms of <clears throat> the economic uncertainty, right? Sort of the looming sort of economic downturn slash possible recession, rising borrowing costs. All these factors are naturally going to put more emphasis on cash management and what a company is doing with its cash on a day-to-day -day basis. And then the second is probably technology. I mean, cash management is kind of undergoing somewhat of a transformation as, as things like, uh, you know, open banking APIs and things like that start to come into focus, AI and machine learning. So fundamentally started changing the, the the way treasurers can manage cash on a day-to-day -day basis, really. And there's been a big focus on real-time cash management, right? And, and companies really want to understand the benefits of adopting a real-time cash management, how they can be sort of more strategic from that perspective. And I think the third is, you know, maybe echoing back to the, to the point we made at the beginning here about treasury trying to become more strategic or actually, you know, sort of becoming more strategic. They're no longer just generating reports. It's, it's, it's not, you know, Hey, let's, let's download the cash position here. Let's create the cash position. Let's look at the, the weekly out, the, uh, um, weekly outlook here and, and just sort of report this out to the organization. They're usually, they're actually using it as the blueprint about how to manage cash on a day-to-day -day basis. And there's a lot of different tools at their disposal that they can use now that weren't available before to allow them to better manage cash, um, really to make sure that they're optimizing the use of idle cash or they're finding creative uh, uh, solutions for cash shortfalls. So think, something that comes to mind is supply chain financing arrangements where yeah, treasurers can look and say, okay, I have excess cash here. Do I want to take advantage of some early pay discounts as sort of a mechanism to optimize yields more so than I could through a short-term cash investment product, right? Or do I want to pull in some early pay discounts from my own uh, customers to, you know, kind of increase my cash position in the near term as an alternative to going out and drawing on my revolver, right? So they're trying to marry, I think, all these concepts together. And people are recognizing it takes a different degree of cash management skill to be able to do that these days. Okay. So a lot linked to uh, treasury technologies. Um, Nicolas, something you would like to, to add on that? Or what's your view? regarding cash management and the data and technology embedded to it. Being analytical savvy is super, super important. And we cannot count only on, let's say, backgrounds uh, like, like engineers. We need to really also retrain or train uh, the persons in treasury 
uh, to let them be, I would say, analyzers of, of data um, and all the way from, from top to bottom. So I think this is, uh, this is certainly something, it's like a little bit of a gap sometimes that we see across different treasury teams and this gap will have to be closed um, in, in the near term, basically for a lot of treasury teams to become really operationally efficient with the data they have under their belt. That's really interesting because you mentioned that, I mean, it's, it, we're having this golden gold rush of data, right? And, and people are going to have to get with the times to be able to take advantage of that. You're bringing you back into the discussion as well. Have you seen any good examples of companies upskilling their, their, their organization like that? Uh, and if so, or if not, how, how should companies go about or individual treasurers go about upskilling and what skills would you prioritize for them to develop, to harness all of this? Yeah. Probably as one important point next to technology, and this is, uh, these are the people. At the end, your success as the treasurer is linked to the quality of the team. And there is a war for talent in the, the this obvious. It's really difficult to find talents uh, and um, to motivate those. And what you should, should be able to offer as an employer, especially as a treasurer, uh, state-of-the-art technology in your <laughs> treasury team. Um, nobody wants to, as a junior treasury analyst, and nobody wants to deal with complex spreadsheet, uh, collecting data from all the subsidies to finally consolidate it to Excel and then uh, present a cash forecast, which is outdated already. So long story short, you need to be able as an employer to be attractive, to offer state-of-the-art technology and to allow those colleagues to streamline and automate processes that the daily cash, the daily stupid cash management process can be highly automated. And this frees up resources, allows your colleagues to focus more on those strategic topics. And this is fun. And at the end leads to, uh, in a nutshell, to that strategic influence of the treasure. So war for talents and technology. That's really interesting. We we did a podcast series with a good friend of the podcast, uh, Mike Richards, uh, mm -hmm. a while back. Uh, he's a, he owns the treasury recruitment company. And his mm -hmm. point was also that um, two things. One is that treasury systems are becoming more intelligent. So the people that come into treasury organizations aren't just doing, you know, data entry anymore. You know, we're automating all this. People need yes. to be able to make sense of that data and drive value out of it. Yes. Right. And the other thing he said was the, the way that the market is going overall from a talent pool point of view is that, you know, maybe employers don't have as much of the market uh, as much now and it's more coming to the employee where they have more choice. Mm -hmm. so they're going to go to the organization that's technologically advanced where they can add value and innovate and, and drive business decisions for it as opposed to just data entry. Nicola, you seem to be agreeing with that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, referring also to your previous question, you said like, you know, uh, do you have any good examples? And, you know, one of our clients, uh, like for example, Kellogg's who recently won different awards with sort of best technology solutions, best cash forecasting initiatives. I think they're a great example of a company where I think the lead treasury uh, uh, person, the lead treasurer ultimately is very tech savvy. And basically this vision of embracing technology, maybe even testing technology that, let's say, has not been tested before and let's say where she or he is the first mover, 
Um, but having that vision or having that way of thinking um, is indeed something that is quite appealing for new people that enter the treasury area and they say, look, I'm, ex I'm looking forward to an exciting opportunity where I can um, go outside of my comfort zone or where people are allowed to go outside of that comfort zone and there are people are being challenged uh, by new technology on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think um, having a leader in the treasury team like with Kellogg's that is very much embracing that technology. It works actually really, how do you say, that contagious for the rest of the team. Um, and you see also, uh, I would say, very happy uh, co-working or happy colleagues basically across that team. And most of the time, happy colleagues then generate also more successes as you will have read from the, the Kellogg's case studies. Makes a lot of sense. Linking back this talents and uh, technology-enabled treasury, we would like to understand also from your point of view and looking at you, John, here maybe, what will drive the Treasury technology investment decisions uh, during 2023 and forth, right? Because investment, especially in Treasury technology, is like multiple years investments and developments and go to markets and so on. What's your view here? Yeah, it's interesting. We actually launched a, a survey recently that asked a, a very similar question. And, and it seemed like what people were looking to invest in was, you know, first of all, cash management, you know, like we talked about before, very important topic for the community, as well as payments. Payments was another area of heavy emphasis. And, you know, in terms of what they're going to use for their selection criteria, we actually asked that question as well. And, you know, it seemed like the most sort of important criteria for people were support for modern analysis technologies, things like AI and machine learning, right? As well as support for more modern banking protocols, things like open banking APIs for one, but also some of the interesting things that Swift is doing, like, you know, Swift GPI, for instance, is, is, a, is definitely a, a very interesting point for the market. So it's, you know, to be a provider that's going to serve that, you need to be able to really juggle and, and manage all those different protocols and technologies and things like that too. But it seems like from the market perspective, this isn't necessarily driven from the point where people believe these technologies are fully mature now, ready to go, ready to drive their processes. It's more so that they want to make sure they're getting on the right train, right? They don't want to sort of adopt technologies that are going to be viewed as legacy, partner with providers that they view as legacy technology. They want to be with the more innovative companies, those that are going to help them sort of understand the use cases there and help them along their journey towards adoption of these technologies. And so... You know, the technologies are there today. There are use cases, uh, obviously, but, you know, for companies, particularly upper mid-market companies, enterprise-level companies, they're favoring much more global standardization of processes, automations, controls, consistency of data, right? And with this sort of varied, you know, ad adoption of things like open banking APIs between a company's whole banking portfolio, if you look at a company that uses 30, 40, 50 banking relationships globally to manage the cash management structure, there's no way to get that consistency yet. But there are use cases there that people want to explore, you know, things like real-time cash management, and they want providers to help them do that. And that's exactly sort of what we're trying to do at, at TIS as well. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Jörg, maybe a question for you. So we talk about open banking, AI, APIs, real-time, so the adoption overall of the, all those advancing technologies. Do you see any particular treasury function or um, domain that is really benefiting from all this? We talked about cash management, obviously, that is at the core priorities, but anything else, like fraud detection, for instance, or what, what do you see on the market? Yeah, at the end, it's uh, the office of the CFO, which benefits from a better data analytics, 
which benefits from actionable uh, data insights. So think about a scenario where you have within your office of the CFO, a data lake, which consists not only all historic cash flows. So once again, the lifeblood of your company, but also expected cash flows, cash forecasts, short, medium, and long-term. And on top of that, you have in that data lake available, let's say you're working capital fibers and you can drill down into, for example, individual invoices. This is a massive gold mine of data, right? And this can be leveraged not only in the, in, to, to make a, a treasure successful and whatever, to boost his individual career. No, this is a relevant data lake for the office of the CFO. Um, and all players will benefit a uh, AP teams um, uh, will, will benefit uh, because the process is uh, clean end to end from secure ERP environment. You generate the payment run, you orchestrate your banking portfolio from a technical perspective through a cloud a platform. TIS in that case makes your life easier. AP they have there on a daily basis, their bank account statements available. Controllers can drill down into to wiggle cash flow, uh, conversion, performance KPIs. Uh, so you hopefully you see the picture. By the way, in, even internal audit is happy because they can track and trace everything, which what is going on uh, in, in the office of the CFO. That's the big point. So at the end, teamwork on that uh, data lake and actionable data. This is what we deliver. I mean, with, with all of that, you're catering to a market need, right? So maybe Nicola, for you, um, how is these cash flow or cash forecasting requirements changing with the availability of data? What are the treasurers and the CFOs and, and the CEOs expecting from these forecasts? So for example, maybe before you just needed to create a forecast, uh, measure against the market, mark, month end, you need to be plus or minus, you know, 5%, 1% versus that. Um, now the forecasting processes probably place a lot more emphasis on the, the frequency. You need to have shorter cycles, right? They need to be more precise. You need to extract business insights from that. Like what, how are those expectations overall changing? Yeah. So um, referring maybe to the, the questions in uh, a couple of minutes ago, like 10 minutes ago, today, the need for faster answers and quicker insights for the top level is higher, uh, higher than ever before. Now the frequency of those needed answers is also higher. So let's say it used to be that the treasury was maybe contacted every month or so by the CFO with a specific question. Today, let's say um, on a week to week or maybe even day to day basis, there are new questions coming in from the top management to get answers to. Now that of course results in a higher frequency of a required analysis. So not anymore like just a report that has to be delivered by the end of the week, but more like an in-depth analysis on what is actually consuming or generating cash. Now, of course, there are different drivers, call it the cash flow drivers that are behind consumption of generate or generating of cash. So organizations want actually a deep down analysis of those cash flow drivers. Are there any trends or any patterns that, that are there? Are there any variables that we, let's say, should move left or right to influence those drivers? So I guess the, the questions that are being asked, the expectation levels of 
people in the organization are getting higher. The expectation levels of what we can do with the data are getting higher. Um, uh, absolutely. And I think when I was uh, talking about the, the different variables of the macroeconomical environment, I was referring to scenarios. So I think scenario building, so uh, building cash flow forecast scenarios is definitely something we've been seeing coming up during the COVID crisis and which is literally mainstream on, uh, let's say, today. Uh, everyone builds now different scenarios, always depending on, on different parameters and different variables. And where before that was done with more simple Excel files, today, more and more, there's a need for systems to actually accommodate that uh, particular request. And when I finally go to your point on, let's say, extracting data insights or extracting business insights from the forecast, I think you're, you're hitting it on the nail there. Um, five years ago, we're talking about, we generate on a monthly basis, a cash flow forecast results or report. Today, we're talking about, I have produced this cash flow forecast and I have seen at the same time that let's say from my top five suppliers, they've been consistently paid earlier. We have an excess cash that can be, let's say, invested in a dynamic discounting program. So there's really more specific insights, maybe supply chain uh, insights, business insight that can be extracted from the, the forecast process or the forecast analysis that we have done. So I guess this is where the expectation level has really been going to over the last few, few years and months. Joel, you seem to me probably needful as one additional point working capital insights, right? Because here you, back to this business partner role, you can create very attractive returns for your company. At the end, you've, while uh, managing uh, your working capital, you free up resources, um, you generate capital, which can be reinvested to, uh, yeah, grow your company faster. Um, weighted average cost of capital is the topic here. So you need to make sure that you deploy the capital and you don't waste it in, in your subsidiaries and then sitting there, uh, or lying there around on the bank account as that cash. And then so working capital is closely linked to this successful cash cost. Well, the, uh, you know, so it just sort of talking to the market in terms of what they're looking for, for a cash forecasting solution, they want some kind of pretty basic things. So a lot of companies just want the forecast to be more accurate. They want an increased level of accuracy, which makes a lot of sense. If you think about, you know, the, the focus and the sort of emphasis on cash management and using the forecast as the blueprint for managing cash, you can't do that with an inaccurate forecast, right? So if you're, if you're making those actual decisions based on the forecast, you do need a high level of accuracy. And they also want to extend the horizon of the forecast. So a lot of companies are forecasting at 10, 12 weeks. They want that to be 26 or 52. And that ties in nicely to the sort of the more strategic activities for treasury, right? They want to be able to see out around the corners, what's coming up, where are the, where are the cash flow trends, what are the liquidity shortfall periods that we need to manage through, right? So that's another big emphasis. And, you know, they want to be able to create a forecast faster to, I think, Nicola's point, right? If you're, if you're using this for managing cash rather than just, you know, generating a report and measuring against it monthly, you need to be able to do it quickly and sort of ad hoc create these forecasts. We're still seeing a lot of companies for the treasury departments are spending 20% or upwards of their time just creating a cash forecast, which is, you know, kind of crazy. And there's probably a couple of components that are driving that one 
getting the data into the forecast and sort of, you know, sort of a, a, a consistent standardized way, right? So they're looking for better system integrations. And two, they might be bringing in inputs from a lot of different business units or regions, you know, geographically. So I think there's a need in the market and, and the, right now for sort of the cash forecast tool to also be a platform for collaboration where the business can go provide inputs, confirm inputs, work together on the creation of a forecast, right? So so the treasury can ultimately be in a better position to manage that liquidity picture. And then probably the last thing that we're seeing definitely a need for is, you know, once again, going back to what the market uses as a blanket term, you know, kind of AI and machine learning within the forecast, which probably isn't really well-defined within the market. Everybody seems to kind of have a different idea of what AI and machine learning really is, but I would sort of sum it up in they're looking for insights that aren't necessarily probably accessible to the user at the at the surface level. They're looking for the tool to provide a deeper level of insight than they'd be able to get just through normal human analysis of the data, right? So I think these are kind of the, the key expectations I'm seeing. All very exciting stuff, for sure. Moving into our last topic that we really wanted to bring to you guys. One thing that doesn't get talked enough in the industry or, or perhaps gets deprioritize until it becomes critical is payment security and, and security overall in the company, right? Uh, fraud is something that perhaps doesn't get as much attention in, in many other industries, but uh, in treasury would be a real concern, right? You're again, lifeblood of the company. The data is obviously very confidential data as well. What are your thoughts on overall, uh, you know, the advancement of technology and data collection, but also protection of that data? Payment security is a really hot topic uh, right now. A strong demand coming in from uh, the CFOs mainly uh, because there are a lot of fraud cases, this email compromise, CEO fraud, uh, fake invoices, all these things. Uh, th this is a nightmare. So CFOs, they want to buy a kind of uh, protection. Yeah? And our recommendation is clean up your processes first. If you have, if you work with 30 banks in 40 countries and you deploy 30 different e-banking tools, you have a lot of manual processes, a lot of different ERP systems involved as well and no control who's authorized to sign what kind of payment. This is a nightmare. So streamline, automate the process and this creates visibility. This is very important. And then second, uh, when you have the process under control, what a surprise, all this data is available in the data lake. And then this is a, a very nice leverage to significantly reduce your fraud risk. And uh, there is uh, one solution which we offer. This is unique in the market where we use the data lake, which we have across all of our clients. So give you a very simple example. So we leverage customer intelligence here, right? Uh, in that case, it's not about first step artificial intelligence. I will come to that in a second. First step is customer intelligence. So if there is a supplier which was never paid before out of the overall TIS customer community, or probably this is a red flag, right? Because this is a first time payee, you should carefully check master data. Uh, this is the community effect. If Several of our large clients have paid this supplier many times in the last five years. This is a safe supplier. There shouldn't be any a compliance workflow. Worst case scenario for the treasury and IT perspective, uh, you're looking for a solution to 
uh, which creates quick time to value, which significantly reduces your payment fraud. And then there is a supplier and the, the supplier provides it to tech supplier provides you a toolbox and tells you, well, there is some re pattern recognition, but you need to define the patterns first, the fraud patterns first. Yeah. And you, and the system will start to learn. This is a nightmare scenario. Why? Because this the never ending story, you don't have the patterns available and you create a lot of false positives in the early stage of, of this project. And then uh, you force your accounts payable colleagues to run through these patterns. This is painful and uh, this is not state of the art, so much better to leverage customer intelligence first. And then on the put onto the community data, artificial intelligence, where you have pattern recognition across different tenants. And this is, this is uh, very well perceived. And this is why we see such a strong uh, demand here coming in. Okay. Um, awesome. Maybe to wrap up. So you, you talked a lot about process simplification, rationalization, especially from the banking landscape, maybe from a technology standpoint and to finish on this, John, um, how does technology enables to mitigate that fraud risk or combat it if needed? Uh, what's your view on that? Yeah. I think maybe just to sort of bring some context around the, the concern level, I think you're absolutely right that it's not getting as much concern as it deserves. If you look across the survey results the last five years across any sort of research form, you'll see fraud threats are increasing, losses are increasing, the amount of uh, organizations impacted by fraud is, is increasing, right? So, and then companies probably aren't investing in technology quite at the rate that fraud is increasing, which is interesting. But it definitely seems to be something that's on at least the individuals who are closest to its mind, the AP people, the treasury people who are dealing with fraud on a day-to-day -day basis. Because we could see through a lot of survey results and conversations that we've had that, you know, these companies are very much looking to mitigate risk through more operational activities, eliminating manual payments, even outsourcing supplier wire instruction maintenance and things like that, right? To try to take the risk off the, the company's books. But um, I mean, echoing back to what I said before, regardless of all these efforts, you're still seeing fraud threats increasing and losses increasing. So it's not enough. It's, it's obviously not enough. There needs to be some sort of technology there that's, that's backstopping that process. And I think in our view, you know, the fraudsters are attacking in mass through automation, through sharing of data, through criminal networks, right? All these different sort of methods that are making fraud more and more sophisticated. And so it just makes sense to bite back the same way, <laughs> just with data and automation, right? So that's sort of our approach to fraud mitigation is, you know, first of all, getting as much data into the fraud detection tool as possible. And that means, you know, historical payment activity of the company itself. It means community data from a broader community that's, that has a like supplier base. It means tapping into account validation services that are, that are available globally. Some of those that Swift is launching, some of those that are available in the U.S., right? To just have this holistic data set, um, because I think the mandate really is to figure out how to mitigate fraud on a global basis. And there's just simply no way to do that without a, a lot of data and then really good sort of detection analysis uh, technology sort of sitting behind that, right? So I think that's about fraud mitigation. And, you know, as far as kind of making the case, which it seems like it's been difficult for treasurers and eight people, people to do, I think there's, you know, probably two things that they, they could lean on is first the fraud loss, right? You want to, you want to eliminate that reputation loss. We've heard a lot of companies come to us and say, hey, you know, we've had some fraud losses. They're not material, 15,000, 20,000. But the main concern is that we have one, we have to report it to the board. 
you know, regardless of how small it is, and companies want to get away from having to do that, the embarrassment, the reputation loss. But also when you're validating stuff up front, you're also eliminating a lot of operational inefficiencies, things like payment returns, right? So you're validating that the accounts look good, the, the, the routing information is good, the I-band's good. And then, you know, eliminating a lot of the sort of downfall from that that you're dealing with, with payment returns and, you know, suppliers not receiving payments on times and things like that. Very good. Thank you very much for these amazing insights. Um, this is the end of our session. We will put the links to your LinkedIn profiles in the description of this episode. But where should people go if they want to reach out uh, to either one of you or learn more about TIS and the solutions you propose? John, maybe back at you. Yeah, I'd say, as you mentioned before, you know, we're always happy to connect through LinkedIn, have one-on-one -on -one conversations, even if you're just interested in learning more about some of the technologies and processes that we discussed during the podcast. But also feel free to uh, visit our website as well. So that URL is www.tispayments.com. Uh, and there's a lot of good information there, a lot of good success stories, white papers, and things like that as well. Awesome. Will do. Thank you very much. Thank you, gentlemen.